Good morning and welcome to the morning segment of the Friday, February 9th episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I'm Wayne Floyd, your host. Faith Comes From Hearing podcast is a humble member of the Christian podcast community. You can find us over at christianpodcastcommunity.org. There's a lot of great listening over there. Over 60 well-curated podcasts, wide, wide variety of topic areas, all covered from a biblical worldview. My brothers and sisters in Christ doing a great work for the kingdom I would definitely encourage you to get on over there. Uh, I guarantee you're going to find something to listen to, and there's a real good probability you're going to find more of it to listen to than you actually have time to listen to it in. All right. Well, the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast is a podcast that is dedicated to prayer, devotion, scripture reading, and Bible study. All right. I want to apologize to you for yesterday's um, <laughs> episode. Uh, sorry. Hang on a minute. Need to wet my whistle a little bit. Um, way too much coming up work-wise and everything else, and I'm sorry. It just had me had me a little bit bamfoozled that I just couldn't get to a point of having the time to sit down and record. I had all my notes ready and everything, and just trying to find the time to record because it takes better than an hour to get this thing in the can. Um, so a little problematic there. Sorry about that. Um, kind of a bummer. Was not happy about that, but I just I didn't want to give you a. a on any worse product than normal. So just decided to move Bible study over. So we're, we are going to start in John 18 for the evening segment. Um, but I just, I didn't want to try to rush it and mess it up and make a mess and whatever. And I hope you kept up with your Bible reading. But with that being said, we want to go ahead. Um, I do want to let you know, um, I am starting to, I'm going to start running into an issue here. I got notification today from, uh, Spotify, from Spotify for podcasters is they're about to get rid of their, uh, tools for assembling episodes. Um, usually when I assemble an episode, I've got some pre-recorded, you know, the intro, the outro and the intermission piece. That's just music and stuff that I've already recorded, um, or that I've already got saved on there. So usually I pull those together around the segments that I record. Um, they're getting rid of all those tools. So I'm having to try to figure another way to do this. Um, you'll still be able to upload and post, um, and I don't know that I want to walk away from that because it posts out to multiple platforms, but I have thought about maybe shifting over to Podbean and using Podbean. Um, don't know that I'm going to do it. Don't get me wrong. Um, Anchor, what started as Anchor and is now Spotify for podcasters has done a really good job. I'm not complaining about that. It's just when they start getting rid of those tools, um, it, it does make it a little more complicated. It was always very, very easy to use, um, kind of idiot proof, which is good because I, I don't, I've never done podcasting before. So it helped me out a great deal. Um, but they, they're, the reason they're doing it is they're moving ahead to trying to come up with the next generation tools to do this kind of thing. And I get that, but it leaves some of us who've gotten used to using those, the tools we are using kind of leaves us in the lurch. So we'll, we'll see what happens. I'll, I'll keep you updated. Don't get me wrong. This will keep getting published out there. It'll keep showing up on Christian podcast community and ending up on, you know, RSS feeds and stuff like that. But I did want to let you know about that. So I, I may end up swapping platforms um, for where I host the original piece, um, but it'll still get out there. I'll still make sure I can get it out there. Um, but Anyways, with all that being said, I want to go ahead and jump in. We want to get into our Bible reading for this morning. So we're going to go ahead and open up with the six-day morning prayer. It's called the Gospel. Let's pray. O Thou Most High, Creator of the ends of the earth, Governor of the universe, Judge of all men, Head of the Church, Savior of sinners, Thy greatness is unsearchable, Thy goodness infinite, Thy compassions unfailing, Thy providence boundless, Thy mercies ever new. 
we bless thee for the words of salvation. How important, suitable, encouraging are the doctrines, promises, and invitations of the gospel of peace. We are lost, but in it thou hast presented to us a full, free, and eternal salvation. Weak, but here we learn that help is found in one that is mighty. Poor, but in him we discover unsearchable riches. Blind, but we find he has treasures of wisdom and knowledge. We thank thee for thy unspeakable gift. Thy Son is our only refuge, foundation, hope, confidence. We depend upon his death, rest in his righteousness, desire to bear his image. May his glory fill our minds, his love reign in our affections, his cross inflame us with ardor. Let us as Christians fill our various situations in life. Escape the snares to which they expose us, discharge the duties that arise from our circumstances, enjoy with moderation their advantages, improve with diligence their usefulness, and may every place and company we are in be benefited by us. Amen. All right. Well, our morning devotion from Spurgeon's morning and evening, the text for it is from 2 Samuel 5.23. And David inquired of the Lord. When David made this inquiry, he had just fought the Philistines and gained a signal victory. The Philistines came up in great hosts, but by the help of God, David had easily put them to flight. Note, however, that when they came a second time, David did not go up to fight them without inquiring of the Lord. Once he had been victorious, and he might have said, as many have in other cases, I shall be victorious again. I may rest quite sure that if I have conquered once, I shall triumph yet again. Wherefore should I tarry to seek at the Lord's hand? Not so, David. He had gained one battle by the strength of the Lord. He would not venture upon another until he had ensured the same. He inquired, Shall I go up against them? He waited until God's sign was given. Learn from David to take no step without God. Christian, if thou wouldst know the path of duty, take God for thy compass. If thou wouldst steer thy ship through the dark billows, put the tiller into the hand of the Almighty. Many a rock might be escaped, if we would let our Father take the helm. Many a shoal or quicksand we might well avoid, if we would leave to his sovereign will to choose and to command. The Puritan said, As sure as ever a Christian car cars for himself, he'll cut his own fingers. This is a great truth. Said another old divine, He that goes before the cloud of God's providence goes on a fool's errand. And so he does. He must mark God's providence leading us, I'm sorry, we must mark God's providence leading us, and if providence tarries, tarry till providence comes. He who goes before providence will be very glad to run back again. I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go, is God's promise to his people. Let us then take all our perplexities to him and say, Lord, what, will, what wilt thou have me do? Leave not thy chamber this morning without inquiring of the Lord. All right, well, our reading for today... Uh, it's going to be Exodus 29 through 30, verse 10, Matthew 26, verse 14 through 46, Psalm 31, verse 19 through 24, and Proverbs 8, verses 14 through 26. And just a minute, I need a drink here. All right, Exodus 29. Now this is what you shall do to them, to set them apart as holy, to minister as priests to me. Take one bull from the herd, and two rams without blemish, and unleavened bread, and unleavened cakes mixed with oil, and unleavened wafers spread with oil. You shall make them of fine wheat flour, and you shall put them in one basket, and bring them near in the basket along with the bull and the two rams. Then you shall bring Aaron and his sons near to the doorway of the tent of meeting, and wash them with water. 
and ye shall take the garments and put on Aaron the tunic and the robe of the ephod, and the ephod and the breastpiece, and gird him with the skillfully woven band of the ephod. And you shall see the turban. On, I'm sorry. And you shall set the turban on his head, and put the holy crown on the turban. Then you shall take the anointing oil and pour it on his head and anoint him. And you shall bring his sons near and put tunics on them. You shall gird them with sashes, Aaron and his sons, and bind caps on them, and they shall have the priesthood by a perpetual statute. So you shall ordain Aaron and his sons. Then you shall bring the bull near before the tent of meeting, and Aaron and his sons shall lay their hands on the head of the bull. You shall slaughter the bull before Yahweh at the doorway of the tent of meeting. You shall take some of the blood of the bull and put it on the horns of the altar with your finger, and you shall pour out all the blood at the base of the altar. You shall take all the fat that covers the entrails and the lobe of the liver and the two kidneys and the fat that is on them, and you shall offer them up in smoke on the altar. But the flesh of the bull and its hide and its refuse you shall burn with fire outside the camp. It is a sin offering. You shall also take the one ram, and Aaron and his sons shall lay their hands on the head of the ram. And you shall slaughter the ram, and you shall take its blood and splash it around on the altar. Then you shall cut the ram into its pieces, and wash its entrails and its legs, and put them with its pieces and its head. You shall offer up and smoke the whole ram on the altar. It is a burnt offering to Yahweh. It is a soothing aroma, an offering by fire to Yahweh. Then you shall take the second ram, and Aaron and his sons shall lay their hands on the head of the ram. You shall slaughter the ram, and take some of its blood, and put it on the lobe of Aaron's right ear, and on the lobes of his sons' right ears, and on the thumbs of their right hands, and on the big toes of their right feet, and splash the rest of the blood around on the altar. Then you shall take some of the blood that is on the altar, and some of the anointing oil, and sprinkle it on Aaron, and on his garments, and on his sons, and on his sons' garments with him. So he and his garments shall be set apart as holy as well as his sons and his sons' garments with him. You shall also take the fat from the ram, and the fat tail, and the fat that covers the entrails, and the lobe of the liver, and the two kidneys, and the fat that is on them, and the right thigh, for it is a ram of ordination, and one cake of bread, <clears throat> and one cake of bread mixed with oil, and one wafer from the basket of unleavened bread, which is set before Yahweh. And you shall put all these in the hands of Aaron and in the hands of his sons, and you shall wave them as a wave offering before Yahweh. You shall take them from their hands and offer them up in smoke on the altar on the burnt offering for a soothing aroma before Yahweh. It is an offering by fire to Yahweh. Then you shall take the breast of Aaron's ram of ordination and wave it as a wave offering before Yahweh, and it shall be your portion." You shall set apart as holy the breast of the wave offering and the thigh of the contribution offering, which was waved and which was raised up as a contribution uh, from the ram of ordination, from the one which was for Aaron and from the one which was for his sons. It shall be for Aaron and his sons as a perpetual statute from the sons of Israel, for it is a contribution offering, and it shall be a contribution offering from the sons of Israel from the sacrifices of their peace offerings, even their contribution offering to Yahweh. The holy garments of Aaron shall be for his sons after him, that in them they may be anointed and ordained. For seven days the one of his sons, who is priest in his stead, shall put them on when he comes into the tent of meeting to minister in the holy place. You shall take the ram of ordination and boil its flesh in a holy place. Aaron and his sons shall eat the flesh of the ram and the bread that is in the basket at the doorway of the tent of meeting. Thus they shall eat those things by which atonement was made to ordain them, to set them apart as holy. But a layman shall not eat them, because they are holy. 
If any of the flesh of ordination or any of the bread remains until morning, then you shall burn the remainder with fire. It shall not be eaten because it is holy. Thus you shall do to Aaron and to his sons according to all that I have commanded you. You shall ordain them through seven days. Each day you shall offer a bull as a sin offering for atonement, and you shall purify the altar when you make atonement for it, and you shall anoint it to set it apart as holy. For seven days you shall make atonement for the altar and set it apart as holy. Then the altar shall be most holy, and whatever touches the altar shall be holy. Now this is what you shall offer on the altar. Two one-year-old lambs each day continuously. The one lamb you shall offer in the morning, and the second lamb you shall offer at twilight. And there shall be one-tenth of an ephah of fine flour mixed with one-fourth of a hen of beaten oil and one-fourth of a hen of wine for a drink offering with the one lamb. The second lamb you shall offer at twilight, and you shall offer with it the same grain offering and the same drink offering as in the morning, for a soothing aroma and offering by fire to Yahweh. It shall be a continual burnt offering throughout your generations at the doorway of the tent of meeting before Yahweh, where I will meet with you to speak to you there. I will meet there with the sons of Israel, and it shall be set apart as holy by my glory. I will set the tent of meeting and the altar apart as holy. I will also set Aaron and his sons apart as holy to minister as priests to me. I will dwell among the sons of Israel and will be their God. They shall know that I am Yahweh their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I might dwell among them. I am Yahweh their God. <clears throat> Exodus 30, the first ten verses. Moreover, you shall make an altar as a place for burning incense. You shall make it of acacia wood. Its length shall be a cubit, and its width a cubit. It shall be square, and its height shall be two cubits. Its horns shall be of the same piece. You shall overlay it with pure gold, its top and its sides all around, and its horns, and you shall make a gold molding all around for it. You shall make two gold rings for it under its molding. You shall make them on its two sides walls on opposite on it, I'm sorry on its two side walls on opposite sides, and they shall be holders for poles with which to carry it. You shall make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. You shall put this altar altar in front of the veil that is near the ark of the testimony, in front of the mercy seat that is over the testimony, where I will meet with you. Aaron shall burn fragrant incense on it. He shall burn it every morning when he trims the lamps. When Aaron trims the lamps at twilight, he shall burn incense. There shall be continual incense before Yahweh throughout your generations. You shall not offer any strange incense on this altar, or burnt offering or grain offering, and you shall not pour out a drink offering on it. Aaron shall make atonement on its horns once a year. He shall make atonement on it with the blood of the sin offering of atonement once a year throughout your generations. It is most holy to Yahweh. All right, Matthew 26, verses 14 through 46. Then one of the twelve, named Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, What are you willing to give me to deliver him to you? And they weighed out thirty pieces of silver to him. And from then on he began looking for a good opportunity to betray Jesus. Now on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Where do you want us to prepare for you to eat Passover? Eat the Passover. And he said, Go into the city to a certain man, and say to him, The teacher says, My time is near. I am keeping the Passover at your house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. Now when evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve disciples. And as they were eating, he said, Truly I say to you, that one of you will betray me. And being deeply grieved, they each one began to say to him, Surely not I, Lord. 
And he answered and said, He who dipped his hand with me in the bowl is the one who will betray me. The Son of Man is going, just as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. And Judas, who was betraying him, answered and said, Surely not I, Rabbi. Jesus said to him, You yourself said it. Now while they were eating, Jesus took some bread, and after a blessing he broke it, and giving it to the disciples, he said, Take, eat, this is my body. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. And after singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike down the shepherd and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. But Peter answered and said to him, Even though all may fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you that this very night before a rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. All the disciples said the same thing too. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be grieved and distressed. Then he said to them, My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. And he went a little beyond them and fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, So you men could not wa keep watch with me for one hour? Keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away again a second time and prayed, saying, My father, if this cannot pass away unless I drink it, your will be done. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them again and went away and prayed a third time, saying the same thing once more. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up, let us go. Behold, the one who betrays me is at hand. Psalm 31, verses 19-24 through How great is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you, which you have worked for those who take refuge in you, before the sons of men. You hide them in the secret place of your presence from the conspiracies of man. You keep them secretly in a shelter from the strife of tongues. Blessed be Yahweh, for he has made marvelous his loving kindness to me in a besieged city. As for me, I said in my alarm, I am cut off from before your eyes. Eyes, excuse me. Nevertheless, you heard the voice of my supplications when I cried to you for help. O oh, love Yahweh, all you his holy ones. Yahweh guards the faithful but repays fully the one who acts in lofty pride. Be strong and let your heart take courage, all you who wait for Yahweh. And finally, Proverbs verses, uh, chapter 8, verses 14 through 26. Counsel is mine and sound wisdom. I am understanding, might is mine. By my king's reign and rulers, I'm sorry, by me king's reign and rulers mark out righteousness. By me princes rule, and nobles all who judge rightly. I love those who love me, and those who earnestly seek me will find me. 
Riches and glory are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. My fruit is better than fine gold, even pure gold, and my produce better than choice silver. I walk in the path of righteousness in the midst of the pathways of justice to give those who love me an inheritance of wealth that I may fill their treasuries. Yahweh possessed me at the beginning of his way, before his deeds of old. From everlasting I was installed, from the beginning, from the earliest times of the earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth, when there were no springs heavy with water. Before the mountains were settled, before the hills I was brought forth, while I was not while he had not yet made the earth and the fields outside, nor the first dust of the world. All right, well, that is our reading for the day. Thank you for spending this time with me. Um, and uh, I hope I hope you've enjoyed it. Um, I, I continue to pray that this time together helps to keep us all more saturated in the scripture. I hope you have yourself a wonderful day and a wonderful weekend coming up. Um, I would continue to implore you, that uh, you do all that you do for the glory of God. And I hope to see you for the evening segment. We're going to go ahead and read this. Um, let's see, prayer from Valley of Vision to close up. It's called Love to Jesus. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, if I love thee, my soul shall seek thee. But can I seek thee unless my love to thee is kept alive at, to this end? Do I love thee because thou art good and canst alone do me good? It is fitting thou shouldst not regard me, for I am vile and selfish, yet I seek thee. And when I find thee, there is no wrath to devour me, but only sweet love. Thou dost stand as a rock between the scorching sun and my soul, and I live under the cool lee side as one elect. When my mind acts without thee, it spins nothing but deceit and delusion. When my afflictions, sorry, afflictions act without thee, nothing is seen but dead works. Oh, how I need thee to abide in me, for I have no natural eyes to see thee. But I live by faith in one whose face to me is brighter than a thousand suns. When I see that all sin is in me, all shame belongs to me, let me know that all good is in thee, all glory is thine. Keep me from the error of thinking thou dost appear gloriously, when some strange light fills my heart, as if that were the glorious activity of grace. But let me see that the truest revelations of thyself is when thou dost eclipse all my personal glory, and all the honor, pleasure, and good of this world. The sun breaks out in glory when he shows himself as one who outshines all creation, makes men poor in spirit, and helps them to find their good in him. Grant that I may distrust myself to see my all in thee. Amen. All right, again, I hope you have yourself a wonderful day, and I hope to see you for the evening segment. Have a good one. God bless. Good evening and welcome to the evening segment of the Friday, February 9th episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I'm Wayne Floyd, your host. I continue to be Wayne Floyd, your host. All right. Well, we're going to be getting into our Bible study for the day. Um, hang on just a minute. I had some weird stuff going on. There we go. Sorry, I'm, I'm having to change up how I record. So I'm, I'm, I'm kind of stumbling around here a little bit. All right. Well, we want to go ahead and get straight into that Bible study. So let's go ahead and open up like we usually do with prayer. Uh, we're doing our prayer from At the Throne of Grace by John MacArthur. It, it's actually a collection of his prayers gathered by his children. 
Uh, the one we're using today is approaching God when dismayed yet hopeful. Um, and like they always do, they lead in with some scripture. The scripture for today is actually Psalm. Oh, it's going to be long. It's going to be Psalm 42 and 43. So as the deer pants for the water brook, water brooks. So my soul pants for you, O God, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. While they say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember and I pour out my soul within me. For I used to go along with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God. With the voice of joy and thanksgiving, a multitude keeping festival. Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him for the help of his presence. O my God, my soul is in despair within me. Therefore I remember you from the land of the Jordan, and the peaks of Hermon, from Mount Mazar, deep calls to deep at the sound of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have rolled over me. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime, and his song will be with me in the night. A prayer to the God of my life. I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the, of the enemy? As a shattering of my bones, my adversaries revile me revile me while they say to me all day long where is your god why are you in despair O my soul and why have you become disturbed within me hope in god for i shall yet praise him the the help of my countenance and my god vindicate me O god and plead my case against an ungodly nation O deliver me from the deceitful and unjust man for you are the god of my strength why have you rejected me why do i go mourning because of the um, oppression of the enemy O oh, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling place. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. And upon the lyre I shall praise you, O oh God, my God. Why are you in despair, O oh my soul? And why are you disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. Let's pray. Our Father, life in this sin-cursed world sometimes seems full of anguish, and we are too prone to fatigue and discouragement. Sometimes we can only groan inwardly, echoing the sigh of all creation in this fallen realm. We desperately need the help and comfort of your Holy Spirit to endure the ravages of sin amid the trials of daily life. Often we don't even know how to pray, but he makes intercession for us with groanings of his own that are too deep for human words and his prayers, unlike our feeble efforts to express the agony of our hearts, are always in accord with your perfect will. As your th children, we thirst for you and trust in your deep down. I'm sorry, in you deep down. We long to sense your presence. We need your tender mercy. We crave your heavenly comfort. We stand in awe of your wisdom, your faithfulness, and your perfect timing. Our experience confirms the testimony of your word. You have never forsaken us. Thus, with settled confidence, we echo the bold expectancy of the psalmist. We shall yet praise you. Bearing in mind those precious truths, we approach your throne once again with both fearful trembling and holy boldness. You are both glorious and merciful, almighty and full of compassion, a righteous judge, but extra extravagant with tender mercies. We seek your blessed favor in our times of need. Although we know we are unworthy because you have summoned us to come confidently to the throne of grace. We are vile, fallen creatures, and your glory is above the heavens. We are guilty, but you are gracious. 
We are weak, but you are strong. We are needy, but you are rich in loving kindness. We are defiled by sin, but you are spotlessly holy. We are without merit, but you cover us. With your own perfect righteousness, most gladly, therefore, do we boast about our weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may dwell in us. Help us to be content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, and with difficulties for Christ's sake. Because when we are weak, then we are strong. By faith we have been made dead to sin and alive in your holy presence. You have blessed us with love, the likes of which we have never before known. Love for you and love for one another. You have showered us with grace and glory. No good thing have you withheld. You have brought us into the fellowship of the church, and you have supplied us everything that pertains to life and godliness. Use us to advance your kingdom and bring honor to your name. Cleanse us from everything that would hinder us in accomplishing your will, and receive our earnest prayers and worship in the name of Christ. Amen. All right. And our evening devotion from Thomas Watson's Glorifying God. The, let's see, the name of it is Glorify God by Delighting in Him. And the text is from 1 Peter 1 8. Whom having not seen, ye love. God is a delicious good. That which is the chief good must ravish the soul with pleasure. There must be in it rapturous delight and quintessence of joy. There is certain sweetness about God's person which delights, even ravishes the soul. God's love drops such infinite... Oh, I don't even know. Oh, there it is. God's love drops such infinite suavity into the soul that an unspeakable and full that is unspeakable and full of glory. That suavity, I didn't get that word. When we delight in God, when we see him only by faith, what will our joy be when we see him face to face? If the faints, if, sorry, if the saints found so much delight in God while they were suffering, oh, what joy and delight will they have when they are being crowned? If flames are beds of roses, what will it be to learn on the bosom of Jesus? What a bed of roses that will be. God is a, is a superlative good. He is better than anything you can put in competition with him. He is better than health, riches, and honor. Other things maintain life. He gives life. Who would weigh anything up opposite the deity? Why? Who would weigh a feather against a mountain of gold? God excels in all things more infinitely than the sun outshines the light of a taper. God is an eternal good. He is the ancient of days, yet never decays nor grows old. Daniel 7, 9. The joy he, he gives is eternal. The crown does not fade away. The glorified soul shall forever comfort itself in God, feasting on his love and, and sunning itself in the light of his countenance. God is the chief good, and the enjoyment of God is the highest contentment of which the soul is capable. All right, well, we're getting into our study of John chapter 18. We're finally moving into John 18. Um, I don't even remember how many. Actually, I'm going to go look. We had. Sorry, got to go look here. John 17. Let's see, one, two, three, one, two, three, three, four. That's 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, uh, 20. <laughs> so a month worth, 
which actually got spread out even further than that, a month worth of uh, Bible study on John 17 alone. So uh, if that tells you how much we, uh, how thorough we were covering that. Um, but we're, again, we're going to be moving on into John chapter 18. All right, so let's talk about a few things real quick. Let, let's let's grasp. And again, we're not going to go into it in detail, not in any way, shape, or form. We've been in John 17 enough. Sorry, I needed a little bit more there. Sorry if I squeaked a little bit from my straw. Um, so we've gone through the upper room discourse, um, Jesus' private ministry. Remember, he went from his public ministry to his private ministry to just the 11. Well, just the disciples and then Judas leaves. So it's just the 11. They're in the upper room, um, which would include, so that's John 13 through 16. And then John 17 is the high priestly prayer, which is still taking place there. And then they leave. Then they leave. Um, so he's he's finished that up. And remember, we were talking about the fact he is trying to he has been trying to lift them up, trying to strengthen their faith because he knows what's about to happen again. As I've said repeatedly through the last month plus of going through John 17. Jesus knows what's going to happen. He knows it's going to it's going to, you know, kick a kick a nest of hornets. Um, he knows these guys are going to be tried heavily. Um, he's about to be removed from them, so he can't he can't run run blocker for them. Sorry, football term, but you know he he can't run interference for them. Um, so he knows they're going to have a hard time. He knows they're going to struggle with this. So he's you know of course he's trying to make sure that they're going to be okay. He's trying to make sure that they're strong enough. They've they've got a they've got a task to do. Again, they've got to carry the gospel to the rest of the world. So the rest of the known world, um, and to write the gospels for you and I, so they've, they've got to be strong enough to even with all this happening and with him being murdered, that they can pull it together. Again, the most heinous crime ever committed is about to be committed. So he's been trying to strengthen them through this. Um, and thus particularly the high priestly prayer where he makes very, very clear in there, you know, listen, God is going to respond to this. And here's why he's going to respond to this though. Cause he's praying out loud. Remember he's praying out loud in front of the disciples. Um, but then he makes a couple of requests for them about for spiritual protection and sanctifying purity. And then he makes requests for believers as well. Requests for our, for our unity here on earth and makes the request for us to one day be reunited in glory. We would be reunited in glory. Um, so, you know, he makes those requests. So John 18 has come. We're going to see Jesus betrayal and his arrest. So what I wanted, what I wanted to get in here at first, and I, the, the commentators I ran across, particularly modern day commentators tended to focus on this. And, and I think, I don't think they're wrong. Way too often now, sorry, that was me getting a drink. Way too often now in our world, people, and particularly liberal theologians, especially in our society of victimhood, they want to paint Jesus Christ as a victim. They want to paint him as a victim, that he was a victim, that all this, him, be, him being persecuted by the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the priests, the scribes, and all that by the people when they finally start going crucify him, crucify him. They they want to paint him as a victim. They do. They want to paint him as a victim because that seems to make it okay for them to try to run around in their lives being victims. Well, not that people don't get victimized. 
And I'm not saying that Jesus wasn't victimized by them in a broad sense by the Jews and the Gentiles in this. You know, again, the most heinous crime ever committed is about to be committed against him. But he wasn't a victim. He was not a victim. And the, the scriptures are very clear. This is not my opinion. The scriptures are very, very clear about this. John 10, 17 and 18. For this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life so that I may take it again. Again, I lay down my life, meaning he lays it down. He acts on it, lays it down. Uh, going on. No one takes it away from me, but from myself, I lay it down. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my father. So Jesus makes clear he's got the authority to lay it down and pick it up. And God gave him that. The ultimate power in the universe gave him that. It's even prophesied that way. That's what we've got to know. It's even prophesied that way. Isaiah 53, 6. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But Yahweh has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. But Yahweh was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. If you would place his soul as a guilt offering, he will see his seed. He will prolong his days and the good pleasure of Yahweh will succeed in his hand. Again, he's going to place our sin, our iniquity upon him. And God is pleased to crush him. This is intentional. Acts 2, 22, 23. Here's Peter making clear in, in the first of, of his big sermons. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs, which God did through him in your midst. Just as you yourself know, this man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of lawless men and put him to death. Again, predetermined plan. Luke twenty two twenty two. for indeed the son of man is going as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. So clearly Jesus came for exactly this hour and exactly for this to happen. Jesus even said of it himself, John 12, 27. Now my soul has become dismayed. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. He makes clear this is exactly why he's there. This is exactly why he's there. So he's not a victim. This is supposed to happen. And he knows it doesn't mean that in his human nature, that he doesn't want this. I mean, because he knows of, of anybody, he knows exactly how brutal this is going to be. He knows exactly how bad this is going to be and worse than we can even comprehend. Even if we could comprehend the physical, the spiritual is going to be even worse than that. And he's aware of this. Okay. He is not a victim. Please don't ever let anybody tell you that Jesus was not a victim, but Let's look at our, look at our verses for today. So verses we're going to deal with here are verses, uh, chapter 18, verses one through the beginning of verse four. So let me read them to you. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples to the other side of the Kidron Valley, where there was a garden into which he entered with his disciples. Now Judas also, who was betraying him, knew the place for Jesus had often gathered there with his disciples. 
Judas then, having received the Roman cohort and officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, came there with lanterns and torches and weapons. So Jesus, knowing all the things that were coming upon him, went forth. So this is a section, um, you know, like I said, is about Jesus' betrayal and arrest. But what we're going to see here, particularly John, we got to remember what John's trying to do. John's trying to make very, very clear that this is the Christ, the Son of God. So showing clearly his deity and within his deity, the way he faces this. This is what John is trying to show. So what we're going to see here to show his mag his deity, his majesty, his glory, we're going to see Christ's supreme courage, his supreme power, his supreme love, and his supreme obedience. So what we're dealing with today in the verses I've read you is his courage. So what did we talk about when, um, when we were dealing with the fact that, you know, Jesus was coming in on the triumphal entry and sorry, I need a drink here. When Jesus was coming in on his triumphal entry, what do we talk about? We talked about the fact that the, the, the Pharisees, and we saw in the scripture that the Pharisees wanted to deal with him. They wanted to kill him. They were making the plan to kill him and actually kill him and Lazarus. But at the same time, they knew this was going to freak the people out. So what they wanted to do is wait till after this, this um, get together, this, this um, Passover, because again, the Passover feast, we, we talked about it, that it, there's records of there in the first century, Jerusalem would swell to over a million people, would swell to over a million people. If these are a mil, over a million people and they believe that Christ is the king, the, the, the Jewish leadership knows exactly what's going to happen. They're going to try to turn around and they're going to try to crown him king and Rome is going to freak out and, uh, you know, it, things are going to go nuts. They don't want any of that. This, they like the position they have. They don't care that the Romans are lording it over them. They don't want to lose their position. So they want to take him out, but they don't want to try to take him out while the people, while, while the people are around. Obviously, they don't want to cause that kind of a stir. So they were going to wait till after. But that's why Jesus made the triumphal entry and they proclaimed him king. Um, that was all foreordained. The idea being he's forcing it. This is the last valid Passover and he's the final sacrifice. That's It had to take place now. That's what was planned. It's intentional. So he made that entry that way on the full on the colt, the full, the, the, the colt of a, of a donkey. That's why he made that entrance that way. Well, <clears throat> so verse 18, when Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples. He went forth with his disciples. So he goes out into the city nighttime, nighttime. Now, again, go out during the day with people all around. Maybe they'll leave him alone. But nighttime, probably not a good idea for him to be wandering the streets, but that's exactly what he does because he's going to force this. Again, he sent Judas, told him, go do what, you meant, what you're meaning to do. But not only that, he goes with the disciples and goes to the other side of the Kidron Valley. So real quick, um, and I can't remember the other one and I didn't have time to look it up, but basically Jerusalem sits on a hill between two valleys. The Kidron is one, and I forget what the other one is. And I know the Kidron Valley is one 
that and and I've seen it. The Kidron Valley, though, though you wouldn't really know. You really have to look and see. Um, but it's a valley that flows between the hill that Jerusalem's on and the Mount of Olives, uh, where Bethany is around the other side of the Mount of Olives. Um, and so the Kidron Valley runs through there. Now, they say valley. It, it, it's not huge, but it is it is a valley. Um, it, it's and, and I'm sorry, I live out in Arizona where we've got big mountains and all that stuff. So when you think of valley, you think big. No, it's not that big. And the fact is. Um, it would typically, it was probably formed from, but it would typically run with water during the rainy season and the flood season would run through there. But in some cases, when you, when you look at it, it runs by the crypts and the tombs that are just outside the city walls there. I mean, because again, there are walls there. Now, again, the walls you see now are not the walls that were built in the, that were there in the first century. Uh, these were built by Turks and I forget when, um, but across that valley, is the Mount of Olives, and it's called that because there were olive groves all over it. And he goes to the garden. Now, it, it doesn't say, he says, where there was a garden into which he entered with his disciples. Um, the other gospels call it the Garden of Gethsemane, um, which means, um, I think it means something about um, being the uh, place of being pressed or something like that. The fact is, the one that they claim is there now, um, and I, yes, I've been there, um, and I'm looking at the name, uh, Gethsemane. Oh, oil press. Gethsemane means oil press. Um, when I was there, there is actually, and they may have just done this as kind of a tourist thing, but there is a giant oil press stone right there in the middle of the grove. And it, it is a grove of olive trees. Um, but so they went to this garden. Now, not only should Jesus not have been out on the road because that puts him in danger, but Judas has been there. I We've got many records of them of Jesus when he would go back and forth because in a lot of cases when he'd come to Jerusalem he would go stay in Bethany with Lazarus and Mary and Martha and one of the places he would stop between them is he would go and pray out on the Mount of Olives out in the Garden of Gethsemane in that area so this is a place Judas knows so not not only is he out wandering around at night when there's less people on the streets so it's quieter so more likely that the religious elite are going to make something happen but on top of that, he's going somewhere Judas knows. Now, this is intentional. This is intentional. I'm trying to make a point because we're what we're looking at here is his supreme courage, as Christ's supreme courage. He's walking into this. He's walking into it like the lamb to slaughter, except let me correct that. <clears throat> he's walking like the lion to slaughter because though he is the Paschal lamb, <clears throat> he knows this is going to happen and He's up, head head upright, chest out, and he's walking right into it. Not because he's suicidal, but because this is his responsibility. This is his obedience to God. So again, so we see verse two. Now Judas also, who was betraying him, knew the place for Jesus had often gathered there with his disciples. So verse three, Judas then, having received the Roman co cohort and officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, came there with lanterns and torches and weapons. So let me explain this a little bit. So <clears throat> typically, and I'm actually going to read this out of the commentary I was looking at. I got to put that back in. Um, so a Roman cohort at full strength numbered between 600 to 1,000 men. Now, it's unlikely that full <laughs> 600 to 1,000 men um, that were stationed in Jerusalem. Um, 
It's unlikely that the full cohort that was stationed in Jerusalem there, and we got to realize this is the Passover, okay? This tends to be the time. Again, I brought that up already. So again, these guys are already, the, the religious elite are already concerned, you know, that people are going to catch on to this Jesus fever and they're going to try to crown him king and ooh, we're going to have all kinds of problems. Um, and or people like the zealots would try to use this because because Passover was kind of a national thing as well. Um they might try to revolt. So the Roman cohort that may have stayed at other places like out in Caesarea and stuff like that, because we see that when Paul is arrested, he's not kept in Jerusalem. He's taken out to the governor, which is somewhere else. So the cohort would stay around the governor, but I'm sure with it being um, Passover and everything going on, they've moved into the Jerusalem area to keep it safe, to be, to be a calming presence there. But probably not all of them have assembled and gone piling in following Judas. Now, again, they use the term and that, that, that happens all the time. Um, you, you talk, you, you can refer that way. You speak, um, like you talk about, you know, um, a fire was put out by like out, out, um, in Tucson, the fire was put out by the Tucson fire department. Well, there are many, many, many stations. And yes, technically the people who put it out were the Tucson fire department, but it wasn't the entirety. So saying here, the Roman cohort, it's really referring to part of the Roman co cohort and all probability. Um, the, the group that went with them was probably about the size of what was called a maniple. It's about a 200 man grouping. And it would typically in a lot of cases be a combination of troops of, um, you know, um, of foot soldiers, horsemen, you name it. In some cases, it would be Roman footmen, you know, your, your typical legionnaire, legionnaire. I mean, I'm not trying to refer to the French legionnaires, but, you know, um, but then it might be auxiliaries. It might be a particular auxiliaries because um, the Roman army was very good about that, bringing in auxiliaries of the locals that fought in a slightly different style to help, you know, help um, make what they did more flexible. So again, it was probably a maniple, about 200 people. So those are the troops. So those are the Gentiles that have been pulled into this to help out. But then we see, and officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees. So that you're looking at Levites. You're looking at, we talked about it before, where the officers were sent to arrest Jesus and they came back having not arrested him going, man, nobody is taught like this guy. And of course they get, they get browbeaten by the, the Sanhedrin for not having arrested him. So that's what we're talking about. We're talking about the temple officers. That's who we're talking about. Those, those Levites that would typically enforce, enforce religious law. So they're coming as well because they're the ones who are going to make the rest because the arrest is being made on theological grounds, not, not necessarily on Gentile grounds, but the problem being and why they have to involve the Gentiles is because Rome does not allow them the power to execute. So they come with lanterns and torches lighting up the area. Go figure it's nighttime and they come with weapons. Now, <laughs> you know, I, I mean, Roman, you bring Roman soldiers out. Of course, they're coming with weapons. But my guess is, and my understanding is the Levites were probably armed as well because they honestly didn't know what was going to happen. I mean, the fact is um, before and after Jesus's time, there were any number of attempts at revolt. Um, at, at, at zealots and whatever else trying to stand up and, and fight back against the Romans. So they don't know this guy was proclaimed king, not a week before. 
So they don't they don't really know. This is this is Thursday night. This is happening. And he was proclaimed king. I, I think it was Sunday. So, you know, you're talking four or five days. He's been proclaimed king, though he hasn't tried to exert anything. Nobody's really tried to put a crown on him or anything, but they've talked about it. So they don't know if they might have to fight off a true rebellion and armed men. They don't really know what they're coming up against. But Jesus knows all this. He knows this all happened. We see that verse four. So Jesus, knowing all the things that were coming upon him, went forth. And what amazing courage. He knows what's coming. And we can't ever forget that. It's really easy for us to just read along in this story and forget what's coming and forget his knowledge of what's coming. He knows he's going to be arrested. He knows he's going to be falsely accused. He knows he's going to be reviled by those who should have been honoring him of anybody that should never have been reviled. It's him. He knows he's going to be beaten to where he's unrecognizable. And you can sit there and go, oh, okay, no, no, no. You really have to understand the amount of beating that has to go on on a person where they cannot be recognized. He's going to be scourged with a whip that tears his back open to where you can see the bone. He's going to have a crown of thorns. And I'm not talking little, little bitty. Um, we live out here in Arizona, tumbleweed thorns, which are a pain, but, and they hurt some, but it's not, no, we're talking big, long. We, we actually, I, and I, I know why they plan them. I just hate them. Um, we're in Arizona. We have our own mesquite, but when they, when they landscape, they, they bring in uh, South American mesquites, which have super long thorns. That's what his crown was. It, it, it wasn't mesquite, but it was long, long thorns jammed down on his head to where it pierced his scalp. And then he was nailed on a cross and he knows this is coming. Yet he goes out in the night when he knows they're going to be more likely to be brave, to, to, be, to be blustery enough to come after him. And he goes to a place that he knows Judas is going to know where to find him. And he goes there. And then when here they come, he sees the lanterns and torches coming. Instead of sitting there cowering, he steps up and walks out to them and greets them. What amazing courage. That's not a victim. That. Oh, how amazing that is. How amazing that is to know that that's our Savior. Knowing what was coming, he faced it head on. And and many down through the, Fox's Book of Martyrs, and I would I tell you, get it and read it. Fox's Book of Martyrs. Jesus set an example that an awful lot of men, he, he showed us how we as Christians should respond. And so many down through the ages could do no less. Than to stand up, uh, I can't even think of names. In one case, standing there tied to the stake, fire lit, about to be burned at the stake, and singing hymns until his throat had burned out to the point he couldn't sing anymore. What supreme courage Christ shows there. How can he not be the Messiah, the Son of God, our Lord and Savior? And that's what John is showing us here. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this evening. Again, I continue to pray that our time together here doing this helps us to grow stronger and more knowledgeable of the word of God 
um, and helps our scripture knowledge grow so that we can truly walk as children of God. All right, let's go ahead and close out with six day evening prayer. It's called the mediator. Let's pray. O God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we hope in thy word. There we see thee not on a fearful throne of judgment, but on a throne of grace, waiting to be gracious and exalted in mercy. There we hear thee saying, Not depart ye cursed, but look unto me and be ye saved. For I am God, and there is none else. They that know thy name put their trust in thee. How many now glorified in heaven, and what numbers living on earth are thy witnesses, O God, exemplifying in their recovery from the ruins of the fall, the freeness, riches, and efficacy of thy grace. All that were ever saved were saved by thee, and will through eternity exclaim, Not unto us, but unto thy name give glory, for thy mercy and truth's sake. Thou hast chosen to transact all thy concerns with us through a mediator, in whom all fullness dwells, and who is exalted to be prince and savior. To him we look, on him we depend, through him we are justified. May we derive relief from his sufferings without ceasing to abhor sin or to long after holiness. Feel the double efficacy of his blood, tranquilizing and cleansing our consciences. Delight in his service as well as in his sacrifice. Be constrained by his love to live not to ourselves but to him. Cherish a grateful and cheerful disposition, not murmuring and repining if our wishes are not indulged or because some trials are blended with our enjoyments but sensible of our desert and impressed with the number and greatness of thy benefits may we bless and praise thee at all times amen all right again i hope you have yourself a wonderful evening and you're looking forward to a wonderful weekend and i hope to see you tomorrow morning have a good night god bless <music>